Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Okay, time for us to begin. For those of you who are visiting with us, you may want to know that we are in the book of Hebrews. The first two classes, Brother James spent with introductory material, and so I'm supposed to begin with chapter 1 this morning. I wanted to present one particular thing in an introductory way as well. Brother James just in talking about the writer, of course we don't know for certain who the writer of Hebrews is, but he just simply said the writer is the Holy Spirit, and I think that's a very good way of handling that and doing it. But um, I wanted to talk about the possibility of Paul as the author of the book of Hebrews. The reason being, in my younger years, I said many times that I believe Paul was the Uh, writer of the book of Hebrews, and I have changed my view on that and really believe that Paul could not be the writer of the book of Hebrews, and I want to give you um, a couple of reasons for that. We have 12 letters written by Paul that we know are written by him, and we know because in every one of the 12, Paul begins by identifying himself as the writer of that letter. Yet the book of Hebrews does not identify the writer of the book. And for that reason, I think that Paul was probably not the writer. Another reason that uh, I say that is because in Romans chapter 16 and verse 22, uh, Tertius identifies himself as the one who is the actual penman of the book of Romans. Romans begins by Paul saying that he is the author of the letter, but if you look at many of the uh, letters of Paul, you know that oftentimes he talks about bad eyesight. There are things that indicate he had bad, bad eyesight, and so many times he had others who would write the letters, and Paul at the end of the letter would then do a salutation in his own hand. And this was something that he said would be an identifying mark of the uh, letters being from him. Uh, In 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3 and verse 17, Paul wrote the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. So, The fact that Paul does not indicate at the end of Hebrews that he's giving this salutation in his own hand and that this is from him, I think is an indication that probably Paul was not the writer of the book of Hebrews. It doesn't take away from its inspiration um, that we don't know the author. I truly believe that it was inspired. Everything in the book of Hebrews Uh, goes along with other biblical passages and it's full of quotations from the rest of the scriptures which would indicate uh, 
its inspiration as well. So just to throw that in quickly for your consideration, as you may uh, want to refer to Paul as the author of Hebrews sometime in the future. Hebrews opens much the same as the Gospel of John and 1 John. It begins immediately going into talking about God and Jesus as his son uh, whom we should hear. Uh, You may remember the Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. So he talks immediately about God and Jesus and the fact of light. We want to remember that as we look at the beginning of the book of Hebrews as well. Uh, In 1 John, I'm not going to be able to quote the beginning there, but 1 John chapter 1, John begins, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full." This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So again, John opens with talking about God and the Son uh, being uh, revealed to us and there being light involved in that revelation of the Son to us. Before I read the first part, of Hebrews here, I want to also point out uh, something else for you to think about as we read this first part in the opening of the book of Hebrews, and that is to think about, we already know that the book of Hebrews is trying to get us to listen to the word of Christ and to obey Christ, the Son of God, listening to his word rather than to the words of Moses and the prophets before because now we are under the law of Christ. And in doing this, he begins or he goes through the book pointing out the ways that Jesus is better than the other things associated with the Old Testament law. He is better than angels. He is better than Moses, he's better than the Levitical priesthood, better than Abraham, better than the animal sacrifices, and he is the author and finisher of our faith, the originator and the ender of our faith. It is for that reason that we should be listening to Jesus over these other things and and submitting to and obeying Jesus over these other things, which were things that the people of that time would have been subject to in the past. Now let's look at this first sentence here, which James read at the last ending of his last class. But God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I think that in this sentence there is a, an opening that indicates what the writer is going to be talking about through Hebrews and the superiority of the Son of God, of God as the one that uh, is to be heard and followed in these last days, days which we are in at this time. First, he points out that God spoke in time past by the prophets, and he spoke in uh, various ways, at various times, in various ways. And then he speaks to us now through his son. I wanted to go back and kind of take a look at that uh, uh, in a little bit of detail, not a lot, but I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it's an interesting thing to do. Maybe you'll uh, take time to do it at some point. But just begin in Genesis and scan through the Bible, looking at where God talked to men, how he talked to men, and then going on to how he revealed himself through the prophets and so forth. But in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, we see God talking directly to Adam and Eve and Cain. We see him talking directly to Noah, and then on to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the, the direct way that he talked to them. Uh, sometimes he talked directly. Sometimes it was through a vision or a dream that he would talk to, like Jacob, for instance. Uh, many times he talked to Jacob through a vision or a dream. Um, but he talked directly, pretty much. Then we come to a time in Exodus chapter 19 before... God was going to tell the children of Israel the Ten Commandments that he wanted them to follow. And in Exodus chapter 19, God tells Moses to prepare the children of Israel for being able to hear these words. They are to keep themselves uh, ceremonially clean uh, for a time period before they are to come before uh, God on the mount. And... Uh, <clears throat> They are not to come near or touch the mountain where God will be speaking. If any of them even tried to go near or touch the mountain, they were to be shot through with an arrow and killed, not allowed to do that. So it shows the seriousness of this being before God to hear him speaking. Um, let me look here. Uh, in Exodus 19 and verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. 
So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. God wanted the people to to know that he was speaking through Moses and he wanted them to hear him talking to Moses. So this was the reason for this gathering. This gathering was uh, surrounded by clouds and fire and uh, the mountain quaking greatly, according to verse 18. A lot of things that were terrifying to both Moses and the people as God appeared to Moses. Then we go to uh, verses 17 through 19. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. I think that's interesting that at this point, God is still talking to the uh, people. He's talking in a way that they can hear his voice and know that this is the way that he is talking to Moses. But what we find is the people, because of this, become very afraid to be listening to God and having God speak to them. So in chapter 20, in verse uh, 18 through 21, after the Ten Commandments have been recited to Moses and the people, in verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain quaking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. From this point forward, it appears that God begins to speak to the people through Moses and through prophets, chosen people that he would reveal the things he wanted known to the people. And it's because the people had requested that this be the way God speak to them. And of course, we realize that this was God's plan all along uh, as well. And so this is what began to happen. It's interesting to note the way that God talks about uh, speaking to Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, uh, there we find the event where uh, Aaron and Miriam had risen up against uh, uh, Moses, and God reveals to them his feeling about uh, Moses. Let's just go to verse 5 of chapter 12 there. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. 
Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. Notice that he says that he speaks to Moses in a different way than he speaks to the prophets. He speaks to the prophets through visions and dreams, but Moses he speaks plainly to, uh, face to face, if you will. This may seem contradictory to some of the things that we're going to look at later as God says no one can see his face and live. No man can see his face and live. But I think that we need to realize this is not a literal thing, but a way of indicating the direct way that Moses conversed with Moses, that God conversed with Moses still at this particular time. I think it'd be good if you remember uh, this occasion because in Hebrews chapter 12, as we come to the end of chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, the Hebrews writer is going to refer back to this time as he brings the book to somewhat of a close, nearing a close. He's going to come back to this and say, the people were afraid because of all of the things that were going on there. And if the people had to hear what was being said on earth, then you need to be sure that you don't neglect hearing what is said from heaven. Basically, you don't neglect hearing the Son of God in these last days. And so um, I think that's why I think this is important to look at at this particular time. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22... God says in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. This, you may realize, pointed to Jesus who would be coming afterwards. And in Acts chapter uh, 7 Verse 37, as Stephen was accused of trying to speak against Moses and the temple, uh, Stephen talked about Moses and led up to this point, and he pointed out to them, Moses said, God's going to raise up a prophet after him, him you are to hear. And Jesus is that prophet who was that Moses was talking about. And so we see the greatness of Moses in all of this with what he was speaking and what he was saying, how he revealed the Word of God to the people. And in the book of Hebrews, God, Moses' greatness is going to be pointed out, 
But it's going to be pointed out also that Jesus is greater than Moses. If you thought Moses was great and you were to hear him, you should hear Jesus even more than you uh, recognize the importance of listening to Moses. Matthew uh, 3.17 is the baptism of Jesus. And we know that the Spirit descended on him and God said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. In chapter 17 of Matthew in verse 5, we have there the transfiguration of Jesus. You may remember that uh, Peter, I think James and John were there with, with him, with Jesus. They went up on the mount and a great light appeared and, and uh, Elijah and uh, I've forgotten. <laughs> Moses, Moses, Elijah and Jesus were there. Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And Peter said afterward that it's good that we were here. Let us build an um, altar, if you will, to each of you, to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Moses representing the law of Moses, Elijah, the prophets, and Jesus, of course, his now speaking, the one he is now speaking through, and when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and, and the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. This was an indication again of these others were to be put aside. Jesus is now the one through whom God would be speaking. Um, if we go back to Hebrews... As he continues on in the beginning here, and we get to, uh, he's talked about the angels and the superiority of Jesus over the angels. We note also in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will." This is important, I think, because now he is pointing out to them that, yes, God speaks to us through his son, Jesus, and not through the prophets as he did in the past. However, when Jesus was going into heaven, there was a realization that he would not be here on earth anymore. He had to leave others through whom he would speak, and this was the apostles whom he left. We learned that from uh, John. Uh, I don't have my passages there, but John 14 through 17 or so, uh, 15, 16, uh, we learned that the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles so that they could remember the things that had been uh, taught them while Jesus was here on earth, but also so that they could be guided into all truth. And the Hebrews writer points out that the fact that 
uh, Jesus is speaking or God is speaking to us through Jesus today does not mean that he directly speaks to each and every one of us telling us what to do, but this revelation will come through uh, those that he left and they bear witness by the, the signs and wonders that they did that confirmed that they were speaking from God. I'm going to go ahead and point out something that I think is important because I hear a lot nowadays, every once in a while, in speaking with someone, uh, people talking about God talking to them or telling them uh, to do this or that, or we need to be listening for God and what He's telling us to do. I think it's important that we realize That revelation comes through what's been revealed in the Bible, what's been written down for us. And this thing of listening to God and just assuming that my feelings are God telling me what He wants me to do. I've run into several instances where uh, people say, well, God told me this. And it's very obvious it was not true at all. It was a total lie. Recently in Florida, uh, a man killed a family of four. And his reasoning as the police were talking to him was, well, God told me that I needed to do that. He didn't know the family, had nothing to do with it. But to him, God just led him to to believe that he needed to do that to this family. This is a dangerous way of looking at things, and it's important to realize what the Hebrews writer points out, that God's way of speaking through the Lord is through the apostles and the things that they have written down for us to have through this that we have God's will revealed to us. I'm going to stop there if anyone may have a comment. Okay, Satan may appear as an angel of God. And uh, this is is one of the things that we need to be aware of. Many times people need to be aware of. Just a feeling in my heart, a a notion, a, a feeling that this is what God is telling me, that feeling may not be from God, it may be from Satan. There, there is an indication that you would think that. However, that's not the first time things like this happen, and, and that is a danger when we begin telling people that uh, God is speaking to you when you have these feelings one way or another. Any other comments? Okay. <clears throat> So God spoke in time past through the, to the fathers by the prophets. He's now spoken in the last days by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. This goes to showing the superiority of Christ over all of these other things that are going to be talked about in the book of Hebrews because he is the heir of all things. 
In Matthew 21, verses 33 through 40, we read uh, a parable that Jesus put forth to the scribes and Pharisees, and they understood it applying to him, but it shows the importance of the heir uh, in a uh, family, if you will, and then the things that belong to a family. In particular, we'll look at uh, verses uh, 37 through 40. You may remember that that in this, uh, Jesus points out that there was a man who had a vineyard and he hired certain vine dressers to take care of this vineyard for a period of time until it had grown to the point that it would be producing as it should. The time came that he wanted to go and collect the fruit from the uh, vineyard as they had been working. So he sent a servant, and they took that servant and killed him. He sent another servant, and they took that servant and killed him. And he said, well, uh, I'll send my son. My son is the heir. Surely they will honor him. But then they took that son, and they killed him as well. Um, This is stated in verses 37 through 40, so I'm going to read those, uh, that part of the uh, parable there. Verse 37, then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to them, to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. This points out the, the respect that an heir is to have uh, by those who are submissive to or subject to the uh, owner of uh, property or, or other things. Jesus is said to be the heir of uh, all things. Um, and indeed that is uh, what comes to be seen in First Corinthians chapter 15 is one of the places where we can see that Uh, being shown there in 1 Corinthians 15 in verses 24 through 28 then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet the last enemy that will be destroyed is death for he has put all things under his feet But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. So in those passages we see that God has put under the Son himself all things at this point that he is uh, ruling over until the... uh, Destruction of of death itself, the end of time, if you will, comes. 
also wanted to point out the fact that uh, even though Jesus is the heir as the only begotten of the Father, he points out that uh, we are brothers of Christ, and as brothers of Christ, it's important to realize that we have an inheritance as heirs as well, though it's not the type of inheritance that Jesus has as the only begotten heir of the Father. Um, That's why I'm not seeing what I was looking at. If we go to Hebrews 2 there, uh, note beginning in verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you, and again I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. As much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, Um, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Um, So this pointed out the fact that those who become uh, obedient to the gospel are brothers of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So we, as children of God, also have an inheritance, but this does not grant us the same type of authority or greatness that the begotten Son of God has as heir of all things. Comments there. Okay, uh, through whom also he made the worlds. John 1, 3 points out that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 points out that he is the creator of all things and they were made for him. Um, Here again is pointing out the greatness of Jesus over all of these other things because he is the creator of the world. And uh, to me, there's a picture here of a father who has the son with him. They are working together, building up these things, and then they're going to be passed on to uh, the son. Uh, 
and that's just the picture that I have here in what he is bringing in the first part of Hebrews in talking about Jesus being the heir through whom he made the worlds. He is the brightness of his glory. Uh, glory is something that's a little bit difficult to be understood um, but generally, it usually is associated with great brightness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 40 and 41, I'm not going to turn there because of the time, but Paul points out that there is a certain glory of earthly things, and there's another glory of heavenly things. There's a glory of the sun and the moon and the stars, and that's a different glory. There he seems to be pointing out that what he's talking about is the different brightness that comes forth because of the glory of those things. And here Jesus is said to be the brightness of God's glory. Uh, Some believe that it has reference to a reflection as a mirror of the glory of God. Others believe that this brightness comes, emulates from him, uh, and he emulates the glory of God in that way. In Exodus 33, I'm going to go back there very quickly. Um, Exodus 33, uh, verses 17 through 23. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Uh, But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by you. You shall stand on the rock, so so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not uh, see, or shall not be seen. Notice in uh, verse 17, Moses, or verse 18, Moses asked to see his glory, but in verse 19, God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I think that that has something to do with God's glory is his goodness that is emulated in uh, great brightness as brightness and light are uh, usually always associated with goodness and righteousness. Um, a lot more, I guess I'd like to point out there, but I'm going to go ahead to the next thing, that he is the express image of his person. And this is something that I find is interesting because this word express image means a stamped or burned image that is exactly like the original. Um, In Genesis chapter 1, in the creation, we are said to be created in the image of God. And there are ways that uh, something can be in a, or an image can be of something but it is not exactly. This word express image has reference to being exact. 
Uh, don't know if you've noticed, but if you've ever had a, a rubber stamp, maybe, sometimes there'll be cracks that will develop in that stamp, or maybe even when the stamp was made, there are certain cracks that, and spots in flaws in it, if you will. And no other stamp will have that exact flaw in uh, the look that that particular stamp does. So Jesus is said to be the exact image uh, of his person. I wanted to just quickly point out the word uh, for person here. The word for person is one that was used uh, by Aristotle and many of the writers of that particular time. But this particular uh, word seems to have as its basis a substructure or foundation. It's not generally, generally we want to think of our physical being as what he's talking about there. And he's not talking about this physical being, but that substructure or foundation that makes us what we are and makes God what he is. So Jesus is the express image of his person. So when Jesus, or when Thomas asked Jesus to show us the Father, John chapter 14, Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he wasn't talking about his physical image there, but rather the, the person that he was inside, the being that he was outside of that physical being. Thank you for listening, and uh, I hope you can look at some of these things and that they will help in maybe understanding some things better later. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.